This morning, my service has my sermon has a different name than you're used to. It's the Bible and leaven. What in the world is leaven? We'll share that with you this morning. One of Jesus' parables is known as the parable of leaven, and it's found. It's a very short parable. It's only one verse. Imagine that. And yet he had so much to teach from it. It's Matthew thirteen thirty three. Another parable spake he unto them. Quote, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. What's leaven? The Bible likens leaven to the kingdom of heaven over three dozen times in the book of Matthew. And it's like, and it's likened, the kingdom of heaven is likened to things physical. It's likened to seeds, wheat, harvest, treasure, and pearls. And the reason for that is because like heaven, like heaven, the kingdom of heaven is the literal, visible, physical kingdom that God promised the Jewish people he would one day bring to the earth. That's why so many Jewish people rejected Jesus, because they thought for sure he was going to be the one to deliver the kingdom of heaven, that physical, visible kingdom that would take the, the boot of Rome off their necks and free them from any kind of governmental intervention that would keep them from being a free people. And Jesus didn't deliver that. And so they rejected him. Let's get into that in a little bit more detail. I tell you this, that the promise in the Old Testament, which Jesus discussed in the New, of a physical, literal kingdom coming to earth is going to happen. And you, as believers in Jesus Christ, will see it. Think about that. The kingdom of God. So there's a kingdom of heaven in the Bible, and there's a kingdom of God in the Bible. And the kingdom of God, by contrast, is a spiritual, invisible kingdom. Listen to Luke 17, 20, and 21. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God comes not with observation. Neither shall they say, it's here or it's there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God, which Jesus came to deliver, is a spiritual kingdom. You're a part of it. It's who you are. You're part of his spiritual kingdom, according to John 3.3. 3. One day we will reign with him in his earthly kingdom in Revelation 26. But as we approach that day, Jesus said a very sad thing is going to happen to this spiritual kingdom that I want to make you aware of because it's going to affect you. It was beginning to affect Christians 2,000 years ago in the first century church, and it's already here in this in this 21st century in the church. So let's look at that. Leaven will insinuate itself into the work of the kingdom. So again, what is leaven literally? Leaven is a lump of old dough still in the state of fermentation caused by a yeast-like substance, which when added to bread dough makes it rise. But leaven also has a negative connotation in the Bible. There's something negative about something growing inside a person. That's not good. There's something about something growing inside a body of believers. That's not good. Listen, and listen to leaven as it's found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 to 12. And you can read it up there on PowerPoint. Matthew chapter 16 Verses 1 to 12. 
The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When is it evening? You shall say we will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and lowering. O oh, you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall be none. But the sign of the prophet Jonah, and he left them and departed. And when his disciples were come to another side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, is it because we have taken no bread? Which, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason you among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread? Do you not understand, neither remember the five loaves of five thousand, and how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves or the four thousand, and how many baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I speak it, uh, speak it not to you concerning bread? but that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then understood how they bade not, not beware of the leaven of the bread, but, not, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It sounds a little complicated. So what the Pharisees were looking for was something tangible. Show us something tangible. Give us a sign so that we can believe. It's as wrong a purpose as you can prove that there is a God to believe that there is no God without faith. It takes faith to believe in the intangible because faith is intangible. And yet people want to see something tangible so they can believe. And Jesus said, you're much more blessed if you just believe by faith than if you have seen me. He said, there are those who are here who have seen me and they still don't believe. The evidence for God is all around us, but he is seen through the eyes of faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. One of the principal rules of science is called a scientific method. And what it basically states is you must have firsthand observation. You must be able to see some. Theories and facts must be observable. Did you see life begin on earth? I don't think so. Of course not. By the way, neither did scientists. Did you see the birth of Christ? Did you see him walk the streets of Galilee? Did you hear his sermons? Were you there when he was crucified? Were you there when the trials went on? Were you there when they nailed him to the cross? And were you there when he rose from the dead? And the answer, of course, is you didn't. You have to accept those things by faith. You weren't there. Conservative scholars were not there. Liberal scholars were not there. God said, the just shall live by faith. And when he said the just shall live by faith, he meant it. A lot of things you do in this life are by faith. You took a seat in that pew this morning by faith, believing it would hold you up. There were a lot of people in those pews yesterday, and one of them might have weakened a pew, and you would have gone down. But you took that by faith. You go on an airplane by faith. We traveled on an airplane by faith, and unfortunately, <laughs> by faith, it wasn't a good experience. <laughs> Very difficult. But you go, if somebody said, as you got on that plane, and the pilot came on and said, there's a 10% chance this plane is going to crash, 
what would you do? If you're, so if you're like the Pharisees looking for something material to affirm your beliefs, forget it. Finding Noah's Ark, which many people are looking for, or anything tangible will not transform the wavering faith into concrete. It's been tried, and it doesn't work. Only submission and faith to Christ and his word transforms people. The, Jesus says, take heed. In other words, beware. The only faith, the only focus of faith is in the living word of God. The living word of God is Jesus. In the beginning, the word. Remember John 1.1? 1, 1? The written word of God is the Bible. So again, the living word of God is Jesus, and the written word of God is this book, the Bible. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to take this book and make it real to you. We find leaven mentioned in Mark 8.15, and, and he charged them saying, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is to look for something, and the leaven of Herod the king. In other words, they were bringing things into the, into, the, uh, into the church at that time that was corrupting. It wasn't good. Beware of the teaching like the Pharisees that says you need faith in Christ plus something else to be saved. You don't. All you need is faith that Jesus hung on that cross, that he died for you in your place. He died to save you of your sins. He rose again after three days in the grave. To believe those things is the gospel, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The gospel is Jesus came to earth to die for our sins, hung on the cross, bled, died, went into the grave for three days, and rose again. If you believe that, you're on your way to salvation. He said, beware the, the, uh, the, beware the teaching that says you need something more than that. You don't need anything more than Jesus. There are people who say, well, you've got to be good. You've got to be able to keep the commandments. I got news for you. Look at the Ten Commandments. You can't keep any of them. You can try your best. If you go down a list, it says, thou shalt not lie for all intents and purposes. Have you ever lied? Well, I've never lied, you say. Well, you're lying right there. <laughs> or some people say, well, I've never stolen anything. Well, at work, did you ever take a pen? Did you ever take paper? Did you ever take something from your job? Did you ever borrow a pencil and never give it back? Did you ever borrow five bucks from an employee, uh, from a fellow employee and never, never give it back to him? Stealing. So we try to, to uh, work our way around the, the Ten Commandments and we can't because the reality is we cannot keep the law. Try as we will, we will fail. And beware the leaven of, of Herod. Heaven's, Herod was a deatist. A deatist is somebody who believes in a God, but believes he's way up there and doesn't care. He wound the clock of time and then walked away from creation. He created things and cares not a whit for what's going on in your life today. Some of the founding fathers were deists, but most of them were Christians. But some of the founding fathers believed that very same idea, that really, there is a God, but he has nothing to do with you and nothing to do with life. He never intervened. He never came to earth. No, beware of that. And there are a lot of people who believe that today, that there is a God up there, and, but he, we can't know him. Biblical Christianity is not 
a solo like Herod thought. Can't come up with your own ideas about what it means to be a Christian. Can't follow your own drummer. Biblical Christianity is not a solo, it's a community. We are the body of Christ and we are dependent upon one another. One of Jeff's favorite verses is iron sharpens iron. It's in Proverbs and it's true. We need each other. We need to be able to, to hear the word of God. We need to encourage other believers. We need to count on the prayers of other believers. How does it feel to know that there is somebody praying for you? How do you feel when somebody comes over to you and says, I'm praying for you as you go through a difficult time? I know how I feel. Many people came to me yesterday and the day before and say, I'm praying for you for the funeral. I took great comfort from that. And I told the members of the family, I'm praying for you through this time. We bring comfort to one another. We bring encouragement. The giftedness, the giftedness of other believers and the wisdom of other believers and the ability to learn from other believers is pivotal to our growth and our faith in Jesus Christ. We need to hear the gospel. We need to see the gospel. There are people who are watching on, on the computer this morning and they're hearing the gospel. That's important. There are people on the radio who at 8.30 this morning heard the gospel. And that's important. And our job is to expand the walls of heaven. And when God gives us an opportunity to do that with technology, guess what? We'll walk through that door and we'll do what we can to reach as many for Jesus Christ so that Paul, as Paul said, I'll do whatever it takes that some will be one for Christ. Whatever it takes short of doing something that violates scripture. We'll have to go to the ends of the earth, and today we don't have to go there physically, but we can be heard at the ends of the earth. There are those who, like Herod, can try to convince you to do your own thing. You're too busy to watch on live stream or come to the meeting house. You have other priorities on Sunday morning, or they tell you to keep your spiritual life separate from your everyday life, and people do that. Men have a great capacity to compartmentalize, that this is my work life, this is my family life, this is my spiritual life, this is my financial life, this is my entertainment life. We're a whole, and God is a holistic God who cares about every aspect of your life. He wants to be in every one of those rooms, every one of those compartments that you've boxed your life into. Because if he can't be Lord of all, he won't be Lord at all. If he's not the Lord over your finances, if he's not the Lord over your free time, if he's not the Lord over your thought life, if he's not the Lord of, over your, your social contacts, he's not going to be Lord at all. You have to allow him to come in and work in each of those areas that go into making you who you are. You're not one-dimensional. You have many dimensions. You are complex and you're complicated. And God wants to be in every one of those complexities. Take heed and beware of those philosophies that teach all religions are the same. Now, I've been told that many, many times by people who don't know what they're talking about, that all religions are the same. And then I say, well, let's do a comparison. Over the years, I've done comparative religion uh, series where I compare Bible-believing faith to the faith of Roman Catholicism, Jehovah Witnesses, Christian science, all of these different isms. Now, 
Don't expect when you come here, if I was doing comparative religion, for me to tear down any one of those. I won't do that, but here's what I will do. I'll say, here's what the Bible teaches, and here's what these folks teach. And I'll put down the list of what they believe about God and what they believe about Jesus and what they believe about the scripture and what they believe about salvation and what they believe about heaven and what they believe about sin and what they believe about the afterlife. And by the time I'm through comparing, I'm assuming that you're adults and that you could take the stuff that I've just given you and you decide, is this the way to go? And the answer is, of course it is. The Apostle Paul denounced apostasy, which is false teaching. They were growing in the first century church like leaven causes bread to grow. In the context of Galatians, a group of Judaizers, Jewish people called Judaizers, were teaching that salvation was Jesus plus self-effort plus traditions. And Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 5, when faced with false teachings, stand fast. Don't let go of the truth. Don't get entangled in the bondage of religion. We don't have a religion. We have a relationship. And believe me when I tell you, and you know it experientially, and you know it in your head, religion is a dangerous thing. Religion can kill people. Jesus never told you to pick up a sword and defend the faith that way. He told you to defend the faith with the evidence that he's given you that he is true. And to take the truths of scripture and defend the faith that way. Our faith has evidence. Our faith has knowledge. Our faith is wise. And our faith is rational. We have all of those things going for us and it's those tools we should use. When I, when I give you uh, the study on Genesis this fall, I'm going to give you so much information about how science today, not 10 years ago, not 100 years ago, but today, how science is validating the book of Genesis and the book of Genesis account of creation. I think you're going to be in shock. But I know that you'll have evidence to present before people. We have a rational faith, and that's what we want to use to enlighten folks. The church in America is at a dangerous junction. The leaven of secularism, materialism, apathy, religious relativism, and false teaching is growing. I want you to listen to this list carefully, and I want you to see if you identify with any of this. First of all, I mentioned the word secularism. That means that's weird, that someone is coming, becoming less godlike, that there's no Christianity, that it's godless. We are getting into a place of secularism because Christians are indistinguishable in the culture from non-believers. It's hard to tell the Christians from those who aren't. We think like they think, we talk like they do, we behave like them, our priorities and aspirations are not any different from those who don't know Christ. Ask yourself, do we look, do we sound, do we live any different from our neighbors who are not believers, let's say? Should there be a difference? Materialism, because Christians have put success and significance, we're, above, we're about stuff. Things and money become our, front, our first priority. Is material things our first priority? 
The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. The Bible says, and you all know it, and you'll, speak, you'll say it as I say it, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Intrinsically, money is not evil, but what we think about it and the priority we give it can become evil. I mean, what will people do for money? They'll sell themselves. They'll become drug addicted. They'll do whatever it takes. They'll hold up a bank. Or they'll break somebody's legs if they're Italian. Whatever, to get money. Religious relativism, because Christians have begun to buy into the liberal Christian view that says Jesus is not unique among other gods. Or believing that God's people who follow their conscience will get to heaven. That's not how you get to heaven. The conscience can be very, can be very misleading. It can take you down a wrong road. If you're following your conscience and you're not following God's word, you can be taken off the deep edge. There are not many ways to God. There's one way. Either there is one way or Jesus is a liar. Now, which is it going to be? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. Do you believe that? You're in a minority is it uncomfortable for you to be in a minority of understanding about things that are truth? And even the idea that there is truth falls by the wayside, and it's usually the first victim in a secular society. And people say, well, this is the truth. And that. I hear people on television, when they do the news, contradict one another when it comes to what's true. We have the truth in God's word, and we can trust it. False teachings. Just for example, the battle, battle of the Bible. Now you know that we use and believe that God's inspired word is preserved and unchanging. And we've been using the King James Bible since this church was founded in 1733. It's unchanging for us. There are those who say that it's not the words of the Bible that are inspired, it's the message. Is it the very words? Can you trust the very words of the Bible? I tell you, it goes one step beyond that. It says every demarcation, every little comma, and, and every little period has been inspired by God. There are those who believe that God inspired the Bible, but only in the original writings. He didn't preserve those words in the English language. What good is it if, if God inspired the, the, the writers in Hebrew and Greek and then lost it over the centuries? Or isn't God able to preserve his word, to keep it from being distorted? I'm sorry, uh, call me naive, but I believe that every word of this book is true. I've said it for many years, and I pray to God I die with that truth on my lips. So when the King James Version of the Bible in Isaiah 7.14 says this, Therefore, the Lord himself shall send you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And then you go to a Bible that was, written, that was uh, published in 1901, the Revised Standard Version, the RSV. Here's what it says. A young woman shall conceive. Is there a difference between a young woman and a virgin? Which is correct. Not asking you for a show of hands. Just want you to think about this. I've only got a couple of examples for you. There are many, but I'm only giving you a couple. When the King James Version says Matthew, in Matthew 18, 11, for the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. 
And that 1901 Revised Standard Version leaves that verse out completely, which is correct. Luke 24, 6, the King James Version records that the angel at the empty tomb of Jesus says of Jesus, he is not here, but is risen. And you turn to the RSV, and you turn to the New English Bible, and that proclamation is missing, which is correct. I put my faith in that. I want a Bible that's complete. It's got all the verses. You say, well, it's only one verse. It's only a few words. So what if they left a few things out? It's evidence. They're clues. They're dots that we can connect. And the more dots and the more evidence we have, the stronger is our case for the deity of Christ. And that's what we fight for. World Net Daily wrote the following article on June 24th, 2004. A brand new quote, a brand new translation of the Bible is printed. It was praised by Britain's Archbishop of Canterbury. That's the big guy in the English church, okay? The big maca. It was titled, Good, the title of, the, of that Bible is Good as New, translated by a former Baptist minister, John Henson, for the One Organization, O-N-E, to produce what the group calls a new, fresh, an adventurous translation of the Christian scriptures. Instead of condemning fornication, adultery, and those who abuse themselves with men, the new version of 1 Corinthians has Paul advising Christians not to go without sex too long because they'll get frustrated, and so go and find a partner. The one organization that produced the new Bible translation is dedicated to, quote, establishing peace, justice, dignity, and rights for all. It is also focused on sustainable use of the, of the Earth's resources, challenging oppression, injustice, exclusion, and discrimination. I don't need a new Bible for that. This Bible covers all of that stuff already, and it's been covering it for 2,000 years. In faith, I believe what God's promise is. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my what? Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my what? That means every word, my words shall not pass away. In other words, this book is going to be around a lot longer than you and me. But the question is, who will be teaching from it? Who will be preaching from it? The Bible said that in the last days, a famine will rise up. Not a famine of bread, but a famine of the teaching of the word of God. Because by the time you get through changing all the words, by the time you get through taking out the parts you don't like, and by the time you get through deciding what's true and what's not true, there'll be no teaching of the word. And that's the leaven I've been talking about. So take heed and beware. Leaven is slowly working, but ever working in churches across the United States. We must be steadfast, and we must stand fast. The times demand no less. Paul reminded Timothy to stand strong in the word, to study and meditate the word, and to allow the Holy Spirit to use what he was studying and meditating on to keep him growing and to push out the leaven 
of his day's anti-biblical philosophies and worldview. You see, your Christianity, your Christian growth, your Christian well-being depends on that. What will you do? Let's pray. And so this morning, Father, we pray for an anointing of these words to the hearts of those who are here. More than anything, Lord, we want to be faithful. Can't always be right, but we sure can be faithful. It's sometimes hard to believe the things that we read in the Bible, but that's where the faith comes in. And that's where we have to bridge our doubts and our questions. We bridge it with faith to know that there is an answer to some of the questions that we have. And we may be able to realize them very quickly, and it may take years of study. So I pray your anointing and your blessing upon each of my brothers and sisters this morning. I pray you will encourage them to stay in the Word or to get in the Word and to never, ever let go of it. Our very lives as Christians depends on it. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.